Blog Talk Radio. Looking for informative educational radio and not the same banter and not even sports-related subjects for hours? Then Sports Beat, your alternative, is next as part of Mountain Meadow Productions. Stay tuned. Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and so with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sports Beat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spoolis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this last day of the month, the 30th day of June, 2022. Thanks so much for joining us on Sports Beat Radio Talking Sports. Our reports have been sporadic through the summer, but nonetheless, we're with you today, and thanks so much for joining us. And today, our show is about Article 9, which is something that, uh, you know, most people don't know about, actually Title IX, if you want to call it. And actually, uh, it is something that has come to the forefront uh, for the last couple of months. A lot of people are not really sure what it is. It was actually enacted in 1972, which makes it about 50 years old. And uh, it was a 37-word clause that really changed the scope of sports in America. And so for those of you who are not sure about what Title IX is, Title IX states that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So, as I said, it was established in 1972 to provide everyone equal access to any program or activity that receives federal financial assistance, including sports. And this means that federally funded institutions, such as public schools, are legally required to provide girls and boys with equitable sports opportunities. More so women, and, you know, it's interesting because over the years, women still find themselves at this date second-class citizens. Now you say, well, how so? Uh, we go way back to 1920, 102 years ago, when the NFL came into the forefront, but also that was women's suffrage, if you remember, those of you who know history, and uh, women obtained the right to vote. So they haven't had those kinds of freedoms that long. There have been many places like Notre Dame and some of the other schools that were all male at one point. In the Middle East, uh, women are looked upon as uh, even lower than second-class citizens. Many of them are forced to wear habibs, which is the uh, scarf that covers their head. And even worse, in some of the more dramatic Islamic countries where they wear the dreaded burqa, which is a covering that covers their whole body and a eye-opening for the eyes. And for the most part, even today, when we look at the subjugation of women in 
our workplace, uh, there's a very good chance that if uh, I have less credentials than another woman, I probably will get the job. And why is that is because predominantly positions of power, positions of employment, positions of uh, executiveness are male, and males tend to hire males, and women are discriminated. And so that's really why Title 19 was established, uh, to be able to, for the most part, give equal rights uh, to women. And to be fair, in team sports, it's kind of tilted in a sense because when we look at uh, team sports uh, for women, the problem is is that most women's sports, actually all of them, don't bring in any kind of near the money that the male sports bring. You take the WNBA, for instance, which has been around for quite a while. Uh, they don't bring in the same amount of money that the NBA brings in. For instance, uh, back in, uh, I guess, about three years ago, the NBA signed a $38 billion deal with the networks. The WNBA has no kind of income like that. And so monies, according to the collective bargaining agreement, are shared between the owners and the players. And so as a result, you've seen some very lucrative contracts in the NBA. The same in baseball. Uh, you know, the WNBA at one point, I'm not sure if most of you know, to make it look like they had a lot of fans, before the game started, they would actually take the fans from the uh, end zone parts of the court and put them all in the middle so it looked like they had a lot of fans. Uh, hockey, for instance, women's, uh, women's hockey leagues that certainly have not uh, generated the same kind of, of money. So, in fairness... Team sports with women uh, are subjugated to the same principles, really, that male sports are. It's really how much money they bring in. And so when you look at team players, female team players, most of them don't make the money because they don't bring that kind of money in. And now we've seen, you know, in the past uh, couple of months where uh, equality and pay has come to the forefront, uh, the women's soccer uh, the uh, USA soccer team now is starting to get the same pay as their male counterparts, and probably rightly so, because they both bring in quite a bit of money. Uh, the female soccer players get a lot of fans. But I think what we're looking at, and I don't know that that will ever change, because I don't know that women's sports will ever be as popular. I'm not saying that they're not as good. I mean, the WNBA has some, some very outstanding players. There's no question. Soccer has some very, very uh, outstanding players. Hockey has some very, we saw the women's hockey team uh, in the Olympics. They have some very, very good players. But the problem is that they don't bring in the capital that many of the stalwart major leagues, uh, male leagues do. But what about the individual sports? And this is really where I think, things have to change. Just like a, a person today, a woman, who is going after a job uh, who has the same credentials as a man or maybe better, uh, should be able to get the job. But many times they don't, or if they do, it's for less pay. Because pay usually isn't a topic in an interview. Yeah, sure, you have an idea of what you're probably going to make, but normally if you go in and ask how much am I going to make, you probably won't get the job. 
but women should be paid what the going rate is, regardless of whether you're male or female. And so we're seeing that now in individual sports. Serena Williams is coming to the forefront. Uh, you know, PGA tournaments with men uh, bring in a lot more money than they do with women, and they're not allowed to play each other. It's still segregated in some ways. In some ways, we still have uh, tremendous segregation in sports, just like we did back in the 60s with African-American and whites. And so what is the answer to it? You know, we're seeing uh, kind of a insurgence of the soccer team for the United States, the female soccer team now, putting forth their effort to be able to uh, get pay that they are entitled to. And so when we look at it, you, you take a look uh, for a moment and break down that before we move forward, Title IX was established, as I said, in 1972. But before Title IX, one in 27 girls played sports. And today that number is two in five. And while we still have to far go, uh, you know, before every girl has equal access to sports, especially girls of color, it's clear that we are making headway. This summer at the uh, last summer, actually at the uh, 2016 Olympics, several years ago, uh, the world watched as women after women broke barriers, shattering records and won titles across the multitude of sports. For gymnastics and water polo, to basketball and swimming, it was clear that the American women dominated the Olympic scene. And there's been a steady increase in the participation of American women at Olympics since the passage of Title IX. And this summer, we watched as hundreds of girls who benefited from this law made history. In an article by the Times, former Women's Sports Foundation, CEO Donna Lapiano attests to the change uh, Title IX has generated in the United States by saying, and we quote, we give more opportunity to women in this country, and it's not even close. You're seeing the effects of that in these Olympics. And the Olympics seem to bring out the greatness of female athletes. Another article appropriately titled Amazing Things Happen When You Give Female Athletes the Same Funding, WSF's President Donna DeVarona, and you may remember her name, of course, praises the effects of Title IX on women's sports. In 72, thanks to increased funding and institutional opportunities, there's been a 545% increase in the percentage of women playing college sports and a 990% increase in the percentage of women playing high school sports. So, Title IX is really a terrific model for the rest of the world to follow. As Lapiano notes in the New York Times, she said, we have the largest base of athletic development. Our women are going to dominate not only because of their legal rights, but because women in other parts of the world are discriminated against, is what we just said earlier. A very unfortunate but true act. And so it's evident that the impact of Title IX is a long-term and far-reaching, and now that the door is open, more women and girls are taking advantage of the opportunity to play sports and carrying the lessons they learn from sport far beyond the field of play. For Women's Sports Foundation, this is essential to the mission of creating leaders by ensuring girls' access to sports. Sports help girls find success on the field and in the classroom and in boardrooms across the country. And so now... With Title IX, we are now seeing coming to the forefront. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people thought that this was some newly created thing. It's 50 years old. It's been around since 72. A 37-word clause has changed the scope. And now women's sports once again in trouble because of transgenderism. Now we're seeing males who are becoming females and getting into women's sports and winning concisively. 
and that can't be good for women's sports. What is the answer? Well, in a, in a, in a time when we try not to discriminate, and yet we still do, how are we going to incorporate the transgendered male to female to women's sports? And then, you know, the, the biology of it is simple. Even though they are women, they have more strength. And so what do we do in that situation? Is Title IX addressing the transgenderism that we're seeing in sports, particularly in swimming, where uh, a lot of women now, uh, female athletes, are tending not to want to compete because they can't beat the transgendered situation. You know, there's an interesting thing that I quoted in a couple of shows before, and this has to do with Title IX. Um, back in the 90s, there's a university, a very respected university here in New Jersey called Monmouth University. It was Monmouth College then. Um, it uh, has a long history, uh, and um, they were a, they still are a Division I basketball team. They do have a football team. They have a lacrosse team. Uh, they have a baseball team. They have just about everything that most schools have, probably lesser of the individual sports. But nonetheless, way back in the 90s, Monmouth College played in a certain division that, you know, probably didn't help them. Uh, Princeton University in New Jersey was getting better athletes. Rutgers the State University was getting better athletes. Back in the 70s, you may remember, uh, Rutgers went to the Final Four. And this particular school had a coach by the name of Wayne Zolk. Now, Wayne Zolk was appointed, actually, because he was friends with uh, Butch Van Bredekoff, who was a very big name in the NBA. It's kind of who you know. College jobs are not easy to get. That's why there's so much cheating involved with coaches, because they want to keep their positions. But anyway, Wayne Zolk decided that in order for us to prosper as a team, we need to get out there and play better classes of teams. And so Wayne Zoak scheduled games with UCLA, and he scheduled games with Notre Dame, and he scheduled games with, of all people, North Carolina. How dare he? And, of course, you know, Monmouth at the time, they had a small gym, probably held 3,000, and certainly those schools were not going to come uh, because of the – financial cut that schools get, they weren't going to come there, so Wayne had to take his team on the road and play those teams, and they really weren't a match for those teams, but there was a year where the Monmouth University Hawks actually went to the NCAA tournament, and they opened against UCLA, they were the 16th seed, and they played UCLA pretty tough in the first half, but then of course the bench strength of those teams came out and kind of put Monmouth away. But what Wayne Zoke was trying to do was to fulfill an obligation to the school to be able to enhance the program. That is, if we're playing better schools, even if we're not winning those games, there could be a second tier of athlete. Maybe not the first tier would come there. Like a great football player would want to go to Alabama or Georgia. Uh, He thought that, well, maybe the the next group might want to come and play. After all, we're playing tough teams. And if you can't get a 
scholarship to go to Notre Dame or North Carolina, then, you know, we'll be willing to give you one. And that, that theory worked. Wayne Zoak was able to build a very interesting uh, prospect there at West Long Branch, New Jersey. And uh, as a result, uh, the fans came. There were many times I went to some of those games. I remember uh, having was bleacher seats, and we had to kind of scoot down as far as you could to let everybody in. And they were exciting times. And then what happened was the athletic director, who was uh, a woman, decided uh, through Title IX that she was going to take the money from the men's basketball team and put it into the women's team, which was also very respectable. Now, they didn't get the publicity that the men did, but they were winning. They had a very good coach, and she decided, and she was the boss, uh, that she would take funds from the men's basketball team, much to the dismay of Wayne Zoak. And as a result, Wayne Zoak re- resigned abruptly and had tremendous animosity toward the athletic director, and to this day has not gone back to any kind of reunions. He's washed his hands of the whole thing. He moved to Florida and is very bitter. But this is the kind of thing that probably is going to have to happen because not all schools uh, in college make a lot of money. I mean, most people are under the assumption that schools make a lot of money, and the reason that they, and many of them do, but they also have a tremendous debt. You know, college has become a place for athletes and not a place of education. And I think the founding fathers, not so much of the Constitution, but the founding fathers of universities would probably be spinning in their graves seeing what has become to places like Princeton and everything else, still great institutions, but they said at the beginning, we're not here to play games with balls. We're here to learn and to educate young men. At the time, of course, men were more dominant uh, at the time. Most schools didn't accept women. But this is what we're going to be seeing now in Title IX. Now, is it right or wrong? Well, you know, it's probably the right way to go. Because schools don't always have all of the money. Now, many schools, as you know, uh, you know, finance new stadiums and put additions on and do this and do that and have uh, unbelievable practice facilities, things that the NFL back in the 60s would have salivated over. You know, Vince Lombardi took his troops out in 20-degree uh, weather to practice during the uh, season. They didn't have indoor uh, facilities like they do now. And some of the college facilities, even high school. I've seen high school uh, gyms, actually, that are nicer and, and workout rooms that are nicer than some colleges. And so as these male uh, institutions of sports start to become more grandiose, maybe they should calm down a little and maybe uh, have some of the money that they make go into some of the other programs, which allows women to be able to get scholarships to go to college. Because look at college today. Look what it's become. You know, $60,000 to go to college. And these meatballs uh, in uh, in Congress do nothing about it. Why is it $60,000? You know, to go to Cornell, it's almost 90000 Why? Is Cornell any better? It has a big name. It's a great school. But is it any better than any other school? You're doing the same things there you do any other place. And so with Title IX, it now allows women 
particularly women of color, the minorities, to be able to advance themselves, to be able to make something of themselves through athletics, if nothing else. Just like Herschel Walker and Johnny Rogers and some of the other great players of uh, the NFL and all sports have done uh, with their own lives. Sports allowed them to have, I mean, Herschel Walker's running for uh, a political post in Georgia. So why not female athletes be able to attain their goals? And that's really what I think is happening now with the Title 19. We're starting to see women rise up and say, look, you know, we are important as well. Uh, we may not make the money that the male athlete makes, but we are important. We want our share as well. I mean, why should a soccer player on an Olympic team, uh, you know, who goes out uh, as a pro not make the same as their male counterpart, particularly when they've won medals? And so we're starting to see, and this is a a, a time – of, I don't know, in some ways it's a time of healing and yet it's a time of great violence, our, our world right now. You know, the shootings and, and uh, you know, all of the other things that happen reminds me of the 60s, a very turbulent time. The 60s were a, a, a real turning point in human culture. The Kennedy assassinations, Robert and JFK and Martin Luther King, and all of the things that, that it was a very violent time, and in some ways, you know, we – I passed a Starbucks the other day, and across the Starbucks, it had in letters, Happy Pride, which would offend many people, and some people, it makes them happy. But my point is, is that we are starting to accept rather than feel the universality of our souls against people. You know, people feel that they're better than other people, maybe because of their religion or their race, color of their skin, whatever it be. And so in the acceptance, we now are more acceptance to accepting to people of color, African Americans we address them as, no longer the Negro. Uh, we uh, address people with dignity, and yet we have school shootings and everything else. So it's, a, it's an interesting dichotomy. But still, the point that I was making is that in this acceptance part of our culture, we find that in accepting the gay lifestyle and transgenderism and all the other things that we used to deplore, uh, we now find ourselves in a situation of positiveness with Article 9 and the uh, fact that women have every opportunity now to be able to ascertain their glory as much as men in sports. And so Title 19 has certainly changed the scope, even though it's been around for 50 years, of what women are seeking and how they go about doing it. So it's been around for quite a while, and how the one law changed everything, it's time to reflect on how far the quest for equality has come and where it still has to go. You know, the understanding manifested in many communities as a kind of frenzy when it came to certain girls' sports, 
the sport of soccer was popular, uh, and uh, despite playing from age 6 to 18, the com- competition was that fierce. It wasn't for lack of love, though, or competitiveness. You still remember the very first game, uh, and you felt like you were really plugged in. That's what some of the women had said. Uh, they also say that uh, they have not felt that way in their quest for equality. On June 23, 1972, President Nixon then signed the Education Amendments Act, and the law's Title IX, which recognized gender uh, equality in education as a civil right, altered women's sports forever, and that massive shift was in part an accident. After all, nowhere in the law did the words sport or athletics or even physical education appear. So instead, the law was written and lobbied for as a means to address vast gender inequality and sex discrimination in education. At the time, college student bodies and Faculties were still majority male. In 1970, just 59% of women in the U.S. graduated from high school and just 8% had college degrees. Institutions like Cornell School of Veterinary Medicine enrolled only two women a year. And some schools required women to have higher grades than men to be admitted, while others restricted the subjects women could study. And when Bernice Sandler, known to her friends as Bunny, finished up her uh, Doctor of Education and Counseling at the University of Maryland in 1969. She was told she wouldn't be hired there for a full-time teaching job because she came on too strong for a woman. And at the time, all of that was legal. So Sandler scoured federal law for some kind of action she could take and found an executive order from then President Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson, that disallowed discrimination on the basis of sex for organizations that accepted federal contracts, like, for instance, many universities. And she gathered examples of discrimination in institutions across the country and shared her research with Representative Edith Green, a Democrat. This was when Democrats were uh, okay, uh, from Oregon, who helped who held seven days of congressional hearings on sex discrimination in education in 1970. The hearings revealed stories of women who weren't paid to teach because their husbands got a salary, or who were harassed out of engineering programs, or who were told that they were too pretty to take difficult classes. So these hearings laid the groundwork for Title IX, and Sandler, she died unfortunately in 2019, became the law's godmother. And that's how it all started. You know, it wasn't really about sports in general. It was just about discrimination that women receive in this signature piece by uh, President Richard Nixon. That was one of the the better things that Nixon did. As all of you know, uh, he had to resign in disgrace for his uh, not-so-honest dealings with the Watergate matter. But nonetheless... It was a historic piece. And so what will be the future now? Have women reached out? You know, it was back when Billie Jean King played Bobby Riggs way back in the 70s. And I believe it was in the Astrodome. And she defeated him. That's all he kept saying was how uh, the world has dominated Bobby Riggs. It was a character. Uh, I think he was really trying to play up the the sport. But uh, he said everything that he could, and Billie Jean King made a, made a fool out of him on the court. And so we, we see now that the aspirations of women coming forth on a 50-year law that's been in the books since 1972 in hopes that their uh, ability will be able to be enhanced uh, to 
be able to realize their dreams. And this is what Title IX is. Title IX uh, is a historic piece of legislation. And when we looked at it, when we look at it, uh, again, it says, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity, and of course that activity being sports, receiving federal financial assistance. And so that is the story of Title IX and its ramifications thereof of uh, the situation with uh, being able to be equal for the equality things that you do. Well, that'll about wrap it up for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on Title IX and what it meant, what it is now, and where it's going. Hopefully it was educational to you to learn a little bit about that. It certainly was for us. All of you enjoy the upcoming huge holiday for the summer, the 4th of July. The uh, Founding Fathers had said well before it ever was celebrated that it would be a great, great day of festivities and celebration, and certainly they're right, one of the big holidays of, of the year. Hopefully all of you will uh, enjoy it in the weather, and all of your friends and family will uh, be able to enjoy the festivity. Sportsbeat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, and until next time, all of you have a great day, a great 4th of July, and a great week. We'll talk to you again. Thanks for joining us.